This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. My name's Kevin, and this is a book of letters from Maria. Uh, Before she and I got married, she was living in Wisconsin. I was living in California. And uh, we talk on the phone a good amount. But one thing that we decided to do was to write letters to each other. She would keep this book for the months between our visits, and she would write to me. And then I would get the book, and I would do my best to write back to her. I remember— yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to let you read it, but if you did, you'd see the discrepancy in length. But that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is that she'd give me this uh, note, this book of letters— when I was getting on the plane, and I would open it up, and I would begin to pour over the letters. Once, twice, three, four times. I mean, it would last me through my first hour, hour and a half on the flight. I just, I would soak in every word that she said, because in the times that we were apart, this was her way of communicating what was on her mind, what was on her heart, what she was thinking, what she was feeling. It was her love letter to me, And so I would just pour over the words. We're in the book of Colossians right now, which is a letter uh, that a guy named Paul wrote when he was in prison to a church in Colossae. And I can only imagine when this Colossian church got the letter and someone stood up and began to read the letter that people just poured over it. It It was Paul giving himself out on a piece of paper, pouring out his heart, his thoughts, his prayers for this community. And so I'm sure they, they read it over and over again. They, they meditated on it. They talked about it. They argued about it. They tried to figure out what is Paul saying to us? What does this say about God? And how does this affect the way that we live? To understand where we're going to be going today, we have to understand who's in this community, in this church. There were Jewish Christians in this church And they were a small percentage. They were people who had experienced God on some level their entire lives. They had grown up in the church. And then when Jesus came, he gave a fulfillment to everything they had been waiting for, everything they had been expecting. And so they had this new, uh, renewed vision, this renewed passion, this renewed faith. But they were in the church. And then there were non-Jewish followers of Christ, non-Jewish Christians in this church Uh, The New Testament calls them Gentiles. The Greek word is ethnos, where we get the word ethnicity. It was anyone who wasn't a Jew, anyone in the rest of the world. These were people who believed in all sorts of different uh, gods and worshipped all sorts of different deities. And they were in the church, but they were experiencing God for the first time. This uh, true God, this living God, this God who had been moving and who had brought them into a relationship with him through Jesus. And so we've got a pretty— a diverse community, this small group of Jewish believers, and then a larger group of non-Jewish or Gentile believers. I want to pause for a minute and invite you to look around at each other. My mom says that when we get into church, we become bobbleheads sometimes. We just go up and down, facing forward. But we're a community of faith, and if we can't look around at each other, so go ahead, do it while I'm talking. You don't, won't hurt my feelings. If we can't look at each other, how are we going to share life together? Right? If we're always facing forward, how are we going to become uh, intimately connected with each other? So enjoy it. Look around. These are your 
friends. These are people who are seeking after God with you. Some of us in this room have been following God our entire lives. Uh, Some of us have always been seeking after God. Others have known about God, but really come into a more intimate, passionate relationship later in life. But some of us have been on this journey for a long time. Others of us uh, are brand new in this whole Jesus movement. We're just checking out God right now. We haven't uh, ever really experienced the fullness uh, that Jesus brought in this relationship with God until fairly recently. And so we're trying to figure this out. And I'm guessing, much like the church in Colossae, uh, a small group of us have been in this for a long time, but a large majority of us are just now checking this out, experiencing this. So the task that we have today is to figure out what was Paul saying to them about God, and then what is Paul saying to us about God? He's going to talk today about how central Jesus is to God, how we have to have that in common. Because if we don't have that in common, just like this tree is dying, our, uh, our church, the church will die. Maybe not our church. Maybe uh, our church will be okay. But the church, God has one bigger church around the world, a community of faith that is following after him. And that church is destined to die if we don't figure out what we have in common and if we don't experience the freedom of living that out. So I invite you, wherever you are today on this journey, open yourself up. I believe that God has something for each of us, myself included, if we would just be open, be willing, be ready to hear. And I do invite you, if you get bored, continue to look around at each other. Uh, it's fun being up here, seeing you, especially when you smile and laugh. I appreciate that. But man, you guys, you, you, get, you miss the view, and I don't want you to miss the view. So engage with your community while we listen. We're going to start in verse 9 of Colossians chapter 2 today. And Paul says this, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He's saying in Christ the fullness of God was revealed, lived. And you have been given the fullness of Christ, who's head over every power and authority. So if in Christ the fullness of God lives, and if you've been given the fullness of Christ, if A equals B and A equals C, then B equals C, then you have been given access to God through Christ. We need to understand this because uh, Paul starts his letter off by greeting the community. I'm so thankful for you. He affirms everything they've been doing. You have been living in God. Your fame has become known. All these great things. I pray for you daily while I am in prison away from you. My heart longs for you. And then he moves into this teaching, this training in chapter 2. You've been given the fullness of God through Christ. And then he goes into verse 11, which is where it gets interesting. In him, you are also circumcised. In putting off the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled out the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. So we had these, uh, this, these regulations, this sin that was against us, but somehow uh, Christ took it away. He nailed it to the cross. And he disarmed the powers and the authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. How many of you were here last week? It's okay. Good. I'm glad. Okay, Bob showed a video uh, last week that was helpful in explaining 
uh, the scripture that he was talking about. And I hear it was well received, so I thought I'd show a video to help explain the scripture that we're talking about. So take a look. Do you want to? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm holding the baby. Okay, go. I'm going. <laughs> I am. I'm going. Don't push me. Okay, you sit there. Now I need the baby. Bring me the baby. I need the baby. <laughs> I'm not gonna let this. Taylor, hey, what are you doing? a bris here, not a burlesque show. This is not a school play. This is not a baggy pants fuss. This is a bris, a sacred ancient ceremony symbolizing the covenant between God and Abraham or something. <laughs> no, don't touch it. Don't touch a thing. Okay. I could have been a kosher butcher like my brother. The money's good. It's got a union with benefits. And cows don't have families. You make a mistake with a cow, you move on with your life. Anyway. So there you go. I'm so glad you laughed. But Maria told me that she'd stand up here with me uh, and fight the good fight if you guys charge the stage, so... Glad that went over well. If you're like me, you might wonder, what is this guy doing? What is Paul talking about? He starts off by saying the fullness of Christ, or the fullness of God lives in Christ, and, and you can experience the fullness of God through Christ. And then immediately he jumps into circumcision and baptism. And, and it feels like, on first glance, he's doing a total switch, right? A total 180. We're here, and then he's like, hey, are you awake? Just making sure. Circumcision. Right? He, he just throws it out there just to— Keep us on our toes. But Paul was a master communicator. I'd say he was one of the best communicators that ever lived. And so he's saying something. He's using circumcision and baptism to communicate the central nature of Jesus somehow. But to understand where he's going both in this part of our story and as well as the rest of the letter that he writes, we need to unpack these two ancient traditions, circumcision and baptism. Now, circumcision takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 17, God meets up with this guy named Abram, who's a moon worshiper, and he, uh, he, he says to Abram, I'm going to make a covenant with you, an agreement where we both bring something to the table. He says, God says, here's what I'm going to bring. I'm going to give you four promises. One, I'll make your descendants a great nation. Two, I'm going to give you a land to inhabit. Three, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, which uh, was kind of tantamount to the same to giving you a new identity. No longer are you this guy, this moon worshiper, Abram. Now you're Abraham. You are mine. You're entering into this relationship with me. Not only does God say you're entering into the relationship with me, but number four is your descendants throughout all generations will be my people. I will be their God and they will be my people. It seems pretty good. I, I, I like the promise that God gives to Abraham. I would like that. I would like to have my descendants be a great nation. The closest we got is my great-grandfather was the mayor in the city I grew up in, and when he died, they named a park after him, which I thought was pretty cool, but that's not quite the same as making your descendants a great nation. Although, as a junior higher, it was pretty awesome. Uh, But I would like that. I would like my descendants to be a great nation. Uh, I would like God to give me a new identity, to change my name, give me a land to inhabit I want God to be my God and the God of my people. So we're thinking this is pretty good. And then God drops the proverbial bombshell in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. He says, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant that you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
Now, this command included all of his slaves and all of his servants as well, not just uh, he and his family. We're told that Abram was 99 when this happened. So you can imagine going back to your people. I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is that God's going to make us a great nation. God's going to give us lots of kids and, and, and God will give us a land and, and this and that. He'll be our God forever. And the bad news is going to be painful. But it's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make for you. God said, or Abram says to his servants. And that's how it plays out. Up until, uh, actually through the time when Paul's writing, every Jewish male was circumcised as part of this covenant. Any uh, Jewish male who wasn't circumcised was outside of this covenant with God. And any non-Jew, any Gentile male who wanted to come into this relationship with God had to be circumcised as well, regardless of their age. But when Jesus comes, he reinterprets that covenant. Paul says you're circumcised not with the circumcision of hands, but with the circumcision done by Christ, this spiritual circumcision. When Jesus came, he opened the doors so that all people could enter into this relationship. By the way, you'll see some notes up on the the screen. If you uh, are into writing things down, there's a little half sheet of paper in there uh, with the scripture and with some notes on it. Feel free to grab that. If not, feel free to look at me or at each other. Totally up to you. And so... Paul says there's something different going on, not a circumcision done by hands, but a circumcision done by Christ. And the Jewish Christians in this church and the Jewish Christians uh, around the world at this time, they liked the idea that God was opening the door for all people. I mean, they wanted people to know God. They wanted people to experience God like they were experiencing God. Sometimes we like to push them in the corner and say, well, they had it all wrong. No, they, they had a heart for people. But their issue was that it wasn't enough for them that Gentile people became Christians. You see, the Gentile people had to become Jewish Christians. Not just followers of Christ, but Jewish followers of Christ. They had to fit into this box that the Jewish Christians had to be a Christian. Because for them, being a Christian was uh, the same as getting circumcised. You could not have one without the other. It was a case in this church of in-grouping and out-grouping. Who's really in and who's not in? What does it mean to follow God? What do you need to do? Who do you need to be to be a follower of Jesus? And this community, uh, this church in Colossae, they're, they're listening to this and they're trying to figure out what does this mean for us? What's happening here? Who's in? Who's out? Paul flips it on his head. Paul's a master communicator. The second thing that Paul talks about is baptism. And baptism in the early Christian community was about partnering with Jesus. Uh, It wasn't doing something for Jesus. It was doing something with Jesus because of what Jesus had already done. It was an image of dying, of um, them being raised up by God. Dying, being buried, and being raised up. People would die to sin, to death, to destructive patterns that were ruining their lives. The lives of their family, the lives of their friends. And this was important because Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took away that sin, that death, that destruction that was ruining their lives, their families, their friends, their communities, and the world. And he nailed it to the cross. And so they died with Jesus. They went into the water signifying they were being buried with Jesus to all of that old stuff. And then they would be raised up out of the water, signifying that God was raising them to a newness of life, just like God had raised Jesus from the dead, because God had the power 
to raise Jesus from the dead. And God had the power to take away the sin, the brokenness, the death, the destruction. You see, it wasn't about the external circumcision anymore. Paul says it's an internal circumcision that Christ is doing. Uh, It's not about what you can do to get in. It's about what God did for you to bring you in. That's why in verse 13, Paul says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He's totally breaking down the in-groupings and the out-groupings. It doesn't matter if you're a circumcised Jew or an uncircumcised non-Jew. You were all dead, he says. We were all dead because inside we were uncircumcised, but God circumcised us through Christ. It's an odd word picture, but to these people, it would have meant everything. It would have been so powerful. You might be thinking to yourself, well, that's interesting. It's a little awkward, but it's interesting. What's it mean for our community? I I get what it means for them, but we don't really have circumcision rules to come into the church here, which is good. Um, What is God saying to us? Well, I think God's telling us we have to be the same on one major issue. And we can't argue about this. This has to be, as a community of faith, the thing that we are the same in. We are called to be the same in our belief in Jesus. We're called to be the same in that we believe that Jesus died and that God raised him up from the dead so that we could experience intimacy, healing, and love from our Creator. And then we're called to be the same in the the fact that we experience that. It draws us into loving other people like Jesus loved other people. That's where we're called to be the same. That's where life is found. That's where community is found. I love working on the staff team here at the church. Uh, I'm the new guy on board. I'm the kid in the group. Uh, There's one person in their 20s, and he's pretty pretty cool from what I'm told. Um, It's it's okay. Uh, There are two people in their 30s. There's one person in their 40s, one person in their 50s, and one person in their 60s. Uh, And we all come from extremely different backgrounds. I'll take Ron, our head pastor, and myself. Ron was raised, uh, he's a third-generation preacher, raised in the Midwest, uh, in Iowa, I believe, in a small church. He, He pastored small churches growing up, and God brought him to Hawaii and then brought him here over the course of his life. And then there's me. I was raised in Southern California, going to the beach all the time, popping around at different churches. Ended up going to a mega church, which is kind of a Southern California phenomenon of five, six, seven thousand people. Uh, and I don't come from a line of pastors. I come from a line of teachers. Uh, and so we're pretty different. And yet we have this one similarity. We believe, everyone on our staff team believes that Jesus lived, that Jesus died, and that God raised him from the dead And that frees us up to love other people the way that God loved people. Actually, having this in common gives us freedom, and I want to talk about freedom for the second part of our morning. Freedom to be different from each other in a lot of ways. I'm glad you looked at each other. I hope you uh, noticed some external differences. I know there are a number of internal differences in our community, and that's okay. Let's continue in chapter 2, verse 16. Paul says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that are to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And don't let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you from your prize, which is Christ. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his his unspiritual mind puffs himself up with idle notions. 
He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. He's lost connection from the head, which is Jesus, and he's lost connection to the body, which is the church. I think it's worth noting what Paul is not saying here. Paul is not saying it's okay to go out and get drunk and don't let anyone judge you because whatever, we have freedom in Christ. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's already said, you know what? You can't live that way. You've died to your old self and you're raised to a newness. But Paul's saying that it's okay uh, to be different. In this room, in a room of a couple hundred people, we're going to be different Paul's saying it's okay if we figure out how to live out our faith uniquely, not only in our church, but in the church around the world. He says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These were religious traditions. These are shadows of the things that are to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. You see, uniqueness in the church is one of the gifts that God gives our community. And we need to embrace it. Not just live with it, not just be okay with it. We need to embrace the fact that God has created us uniquely as a church. That, that when, uh, when we hear that we're all different parts of this body, we can't assume that all the different parts look the same. They look different. They act different. They are different. I grew up going to a number of different churches before I started going to that, uh, that big church in Southern California. I remember at one church, we couldn't dance. At one church, we could dance, but we couldn't drink, which was okay because I was like eight years old. But for my family, it was, you know. At another church, we could drink, but the pastor couldn't wear a wedding ring. At another church, only men could preach. At one church, men and women could both preach. All sorts of different rules about what it meant to be in the church. If you don't think it's right to dance, by all means, don't dance. No one's going to force you to dance, but we can't judge someone else for dancing. If you don't think it's right to drink, by all means, don't drink. But we can't judge other people if we're going out to have a drink every once in a while. We live in the wine country. Uh, people pay thousands of dollars to come here just to have a glass of wine. I mean, just think about that for a second. If you don't think it's right for women to preach, then don't go to a church with a female preacher. But we can't judge churches because they have women preaching. There is one thing we have in common and that's Jesus. We're the same that we believe that Jesus lived, he died, and God raised him from the dead. And that frees us up to be different, and that's okay. In this room, some of us are conservatives, some of us are liberals. The power of the gospel is we can live together, right? We, it's okay. You don't have to cry however you feel. We are a community. We can't judge the conservatives, if we're liberals, we can't judge the liberals if we're conservatives. We need to be the same in Christ, and we live that out differently. Some of us are older. Some of us are younger. Uh, some of us dress up for church. Some of us dress down for church. Th- that doesn't make us Christians. What Jesus did makes us Christians, and that's a good thing for us, not just for us. I, I think our church would— any one church would be okay if we all looked the same, dressed the same, did the same thing. But if we did that, we'd begin to have these judgmental attitudes towards other churches. And it's easy, especially as a church grows, to think our church is the, is the right way to do church. This is what it means. This is what it's like. But that's just not true. God is moving in churches, in his church around the world, and they do it differently. Some churches have liturgies 
Some churches do communion every week. Some do it once a month. Some don't do it very often. That's okay. We can't judge other churches. That will kill God's family. That will kill God's community. Chapter 2 ends like this. So since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. Ron gave me a scripture that started off by saying you were circumcised and ended by saying restraining sensual indulgences. What an interesting thing. And he went to Hawaii for the week. I, I, uh, I love Ron. I, I'm so glad that God created us uniquely. When we set up rules and regulations, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. When we set up rules like to be a Christian, you have to be in this political party, dress this way, look this way, act this way, talk this way, sing worship in this language, all these types of things. Uh, When we do that and think that that somehow has the power to save us, we're fooling ourselves. The things that we do don't have the power to save us. Just like circumcision didn't have the power to make someone a Christian in the church in Colossae, the things that we try to do to save us can't. Only Jesus can save us. It's not about what you wear, how you look, what you listen to, how you vote, if you're married, if you're single, if you're young, if you're old. Those don't have the power to save us. But it's a good thing that in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells, and we've been given the fullness of Jesus, so we have access to God. That one thing binds us together despite our differences. We can embrace our differences. We can celebrate our uniqueness because we found unity in the the one thing. Because we found unity in the fact that Jesus is transforming our lives. If you're here this morning uh, and you've never come into a faith relationship with God, I want you to know that the God of the universe loves you. He created you, uh, not just to live on your own, but to live in a relationship with him, to live in a relationship with other people. He made a way for that to happen, not based on what you can do or, or who you are, but based on what he has already done and who he is and how he feels about you. He loves you. And as a community of faith, that's the one thing that we have in common. We are all seeking after this God who loved us enough that he made a way for us to have a relationship with him. I invite you, take that invitation seriously. It will change everything in your life. God's not going to try to make you conform into some pattern of what you think the church is or should be. God wants to develop in you a unique identity in who you are in him. God wants to give you the fullness of who he created you to be and bring that gift to the community of faith as you walk with him. I'm going to close by praying for two things. One, that each of us would come to know Jesus 
in a, a deeper and a more passionate way. Because whether you've been walking with God your whole life or not, whether you're just experiencing him for the first time today, I believe that each of us probably wants to experience God more fully. Because once you taste and see that God is good, you just want another taste. And God wants to give you more of himself. So I'm going to pray that uh, we would have a deeper, more passionate, more intimate relationship with God, each of us in this room, myself included. If you're here today and you've never come into a relationship with God, that would be the time to make that your own prayer. To tell God that you want to be in that intimate, deep, passionate relationship with him where he's giving you the fullness of who you are. And then the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that God gives us a a greater and a deeper understanding of the freedom that we can live in as his children. The freedom we can live in and the uniqueness of the way that he created each of us to be. Because if we live in the uniqueness of who he created us to be, we will be a more healthy and more vibrant and more full community of faith. And I think that's what God wants for us. Chapter 2 of this letter to the Colossians was liberating for the Gentile Christians in the community because they could all of a sudden be who God created them to be and not try to fit into a small box because God's too big for small boxes. Let me pray for us. God, we believe that you are doing... uh, amazing, powerful things, not only in our church here at New Life, but in churches all over Petaluma and all around the world. And God, we are so thankful for that. We praise you for that. We celebrate you because you are forming a a deep and a passionate and a life-changing relationship in people all around the world and communities of faith that are meeting all around the world. Would you continue to move powerfully both in our community in communities around Petaluma and all around the world. And I got to ask for each of us in this room that you would give us uh, another taste of how good you are. That we would experience even more today and this week and this month, even more intimacy and passion uh, and transformation and healing in you. And that as we experience that, that you would use that to help us love other people like you love people. Because God, you are the lover of all people, and we want to walk with you in that. I also pray that you would help us to understand more fully uh, what it means that you created each of us to be unique within this community. Help us to draw more closely to the reality that you lived, that you died, and that God raised you from the dead. Help us to find our identity as one community in that And Lord, would you help us to live that out with the gifts and the passions and the uniqueness that you have placed within each one of our hearts. Help us to be a community, Lord, that not only accepts uniqueness and differences, but embraces it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.